Hello, and welcome to the Outlier Podcast, the podcast for everyone who is interested in building better homes. My name is Evangelia, and I'm hosting this podcast with Anthony, founder of Outlier, who is passionate about creating beautiful and high-performing homes. Together, we sit down once a month to chat with industry experts to help educate Australians about the potential of creating healthy, comfortable, and energy-efficient homes. We hope you join us on this journey. Today, we are speaking with Olivia Terzijowski, Principal Lawyer over at Boutique Lawyers, one of Melbourne's leading building and construction law firms. Olivia has dealt with thousands of building and construction matters and insurance claims over the last decade. In this information-intense episode, Olivia shares with us some of the most commonly asked questions by her clients and some of the most common misconceptions regarding the rights of homeowners. Olivia also provides advice on how you can protect yourself legally as a homeowner, and some of the information you hear today may actually surprise you. This is a must-listen episode for those of you contemplating building or purchasing a new home. Olivia, welcome. So um, to begin, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, what your background is and what it is that you do? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your podcast. It is an honour and a pleasure Um, So my name's Livia Terziofsky. I've run Boutique Lawyers um, for the last 12 years. Um, We specialise in domestic building contracts, some commercial and also uh, building construction insurance claims. Um, Over the last 13 years uh, I've been specialising in building construction law um, predominantly. Basically, many years ago when I first purchased a home, it was defective. Uh, I was a corporate lawyer back then and had no idea about building law um, and how highly specialised that area was. So um, uh, I engaged a building expert to undertake inspection of my home and, you know, three years later, suing the builder, um, engaged a building construction lawyer back then and realised, well, this area of law is great. There's consumer protection. Um, If anything goes wrong, the builder, the building surveyor, engineers, they all have insurance to um, protect themselves and also to ensure that the um, owner is protected. And the same with builders. Um, You know, if if they've engaged contractors, depending on who they are, um, or the building surveyors contributed to any defects or negligence there they're protected Mm. as well so I thought this is a great area of law I can help people and here I am (laughs) yeah nothing beats lived experience like it's um and you believe that was like the instigator for you to then really focus on this aspect of law and yeah I found a passion in it uh because with the corporate side of things I wasn't Mm. too passionate about that um so I thought this is this is a way I could help people and uh, also, um, you know, in the end win with with some monetary outcome for my clients, not just a paper win, which you could risk with other areas or in litigation. So yeah, it was good. Oh, that's great, and I, I'm glad that you also mentioned that you know this is. Um, you know, this industry is something that does have a lot of, well, everyone's covered by insurance. So, you know, that's one thing that's really important, I think, for everyone to be aware of is that going into um, building a home that, yeah, everyone that you're working with as part of that team does have their own insurances. Um, but I'm sure we'll get into a bit more about like how that all works in a bit more detail contractually as well moving forward. Yes. Yeah. So, Olivia, if you don't mind me asking, how was your experience when you engaged the, the building lawyer back then? Was it a positive outcome? 
Yes, it was actually. Yeah. So um, you realise how much you don't know um, unless you specialise in the area, you don't know, uh, just like a you know heart surgeon or a dentist. So um, I did learn a lot from that experience and it was um, the shoe on the other foot really when <laughs> you're the client so yeah. you get to experience all those feelings. Uh, mm. It doesn't matter if you're a lawyer and you, you've got a case on, it's, it's different. So, um, yeah, I wanted to make the experience for my clients better. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you have. (laughs) I think you've already just answered the second question too by answering that that was all incorporated in your first introduction. So, yeah, Anthony, did you want to have a... Yeah. So I suppose uh, once you were able to dive into that aspect of law and you pursued this yourself and made a career of it and started your own business, um, you would have had a great deal of information that you would have been able to share with people. And I did know that you've written a book to help people who are going through this process or maybe have questions or concerns about you know, building contracts and what their um, consumer rights are or protections are? Yeah, um, I've written a book called How to Prosper as a Property Developer. However, the information in there would help builders and owners and developers, um, not just for, for, the, oh, great. for the owner. It's in simple language so anyone can understand. And I do use case studies so you, could un- you can understand the concepts on it. So anything that can go wrong on your development or your build, um, should be in that book. I do need to add an extra chapter now. <laughs> but if yes. anyone does want a copy of the soft copy of the book, just email through and I'm happy to send him the free one, otherwise hard copy on Amazon. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's great. Um, we'll have the contact details of how to get in touch with you to, you know, if, if anyone out there listening wants a copy of the book um, in the show notes. So that'd be great. Great. Thank you. So in your career, what have been some of the most commonly asked questions that you get from your clients? Funnily enough, I usually get um, a call when when there's a problem. (laughs) So um, it's probably about 1% of people do get their contracts checked and obtain advice prior to signing, which is a bit shocking to me. Um, I... The, the most commonly asked questions is after the fact, so when an issue has arisen, uh, one is do I have to pay the builder? Um, you know, when do I pay them? Uh, and on the flip side, the builder asking, do they need to pay me? <laughs> so uh, it's, it's delays, defects and issues with, uh, well, variations, increasing costs. Mm-hmm. And uh, another big issue is... Uh, what's included in the scope of the the contract because sometimes uh you know the specifications aren't clear or there's lack of detail in the engineering drawings um your contract does deal with ambiguities however um if there's lack of detail across all documents then whose obligation is it to ensure that there's enough detail engineering you know um computations for instance to to build um, you know, that structure. Yeah. So, um, and if it's an extra 50,000 of still, but it wasn't specced up in the plans, who pays for that? Okay. And mm. what's usually your answer to that? <laughs> <laughs> um, if there's lack of detail in the plans and specifications and a reasonable builder should have picked up on that, um, then it's the builder's obligation to ensure that that is covered. Uh, if usually it's it's to do with engineering designs or computation. There's lack of detail in there. So it won't spec up whether it's wood or steel or, you know, 
for instance, a retaining wall may need two brick um, columns, um, uh, but they've they've priced up for one brick column but haven't actually um, provided a breakdown of the cost on the right uh-huh. one brick and there's a there's an issue there. So the builder does need to ensure that there's enough detail in the working plans and drawings to build what's required. And for builders uh, that are listening, what would you recommend that they do in those instances where they feel that maybe there is detail lacking? Put a condition in your contract. <laughs> <laughs> if there are if there are details lacking, um, so they can't contract out of the Domestic Building Contracts Act. Mm-hmm. They need to make sure there's certain provisions that you can contract out of. Uh, however, there, there's one in particular where um, um, anything to do with foundations data, so they can't, for instance, spec up, if you've only got planning drawings and not working drawings, which you shouldn't be signing a contract then anyway because you did too many problems, but let's just say you're at planning approval, you've spec'd up or you've priced up a waffle slab, which, again, I wouldn't use a waffle slab, but just for mm-hmm. argument's sake, and um, and then, you, you know, you can tell from the SOAR report and the type of land that it is that, you know, Waffle Slab won't work on it, you can't then uh, charge a variation to amend the slab to a board pier slab, for instance, because mm-hmm. you ought to have known from the foundational data provided to you that that was required or if the levels were thrown out. So there's prohibitions on what you can claim as a variation from a builder. Just don't try and swindle your way around it. Just do, do it right the first time. And cost it up properly the first time. Otherwise, you won't be entitled to that payment and you're running at a loss. Mm. Yeah. Which, yeah, is a pretty hot topic at the moment as well. Um, yes. <laughs> so what are some of the disputes that uh, you work with? Um, you know, do you have some examples, like the most common ones that you that come across your desk essentially? Yeah. 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 Uh, for builders, it's always variations. <laughs> yep. So uh, I don't. I think there's a lack of education in the industry, especially for builders. Um, they they have you know, they're a trade. They apply for the builder's license, um, and then they go on and sign up and have no idea how you know what their li- legal or their liabilities are, what they need to do to comply with the domestic building contract. Mm-hmm. what's a criminal offence um, and what they're entitled to. So it is illegal. It's called an unlawful variation, but it is illegal for a builder to claim a variation. It's gone to 3% now. So any variation that increases the contract more than 3%, you have to comply with the Act, uh, which is you may, must provide a breakdown of the quote for the extra cost. The owner has to approve it or the developer the work is done and it's claimed at the next stage. If you don't do it that way, the builder will not be entitled to that variation. Um, there is case law on this recently. So if, you know, your contract's a mill mm-hmm. and uh, the owner terminates you because of unlawful variations, breach of contract or what have you, and you want to then claim um, quantum merit or unjust enrichment, you're only capped at the contract price to claim that. So if you've given them an extra 50000 or 100000 you won't be able to cl- claim that mm. over a mill. Yeah. Is there anywhere um, that you could recommend for anyone to maybe see a transcript of that case study, that most recent, or sorry, yeah, that case law, most recent one? That- yeah, so the Patterson and Mann case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just break it down in simple terms. Mm. Basically, um, and believe me, uh, it's taken me a while and 
to, to, to understand this case and to break it down in simple terms. Uh, barristers have um, the same <laughs> issue as well. But just simply put, um, if it's an unlawful variation, um, you can't enforce that under the contract. And if the only way you can claim the cost of that variation is if the owner wrongfully terminated you and uh, or, or you can claim an unjust enrichment for those variations capped at the contract price. So no matter what what that variation was or the cost um, and who was, who was wrong or right, you can only ever claim the contract price. Mm. So and most of the time the variations are, you know, dealt with at the end. The builder mm-hmm. will do their tally up their calculations and it's too late because they've paid you the full amount. From a homeowner's perspective, what would be the most common um, queries that they have with yourself? <laughs> well, um, it's I'll start off with delays. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them sign up and there's zero liquidated damages uh, or $250 a week or the builders ask for an extension of time and they didn't respond within seven days and they automatically obtain that extension of time to the construction period or they don't ask for further information as to what the delay was and why and, you know. Um, so that's, that's you know, you know what do I do with the builder? They've taken over a year to finish um, and they haven't, or in the instance where they haven't asked for an extension of time, you know, what do I do? Um, so that's number one, delays. Number two is, are the variations. Do I need to pay for this? You didn't tell me that this was a variation. I don't have an extra $100,000 to pay this. So that's, I think I've answered that question previously. Yeah. And the last thing is um, defects. So, um, you know, the, the house looks different or um, do I need to pay the builder this? It's taken over a year to get to this stage. And usually when they take too long, two things have happened. Mm-hmm. Something's gone wrong on site or they've run out of money. So you need to get that that house checked, plumbing and a building consultant as well. It'd be a minimum to make sure what's being done is accordance to the plans and specs and what you're paying for. Um, it, it just, it, it's restricted to just minor defects. So then the builder would be entitled to payment. So would you recommend that, um, that in that instance there that the consumer engages with an independent building inspector and has a full report done of the current um, state of the home. Is that probably the best approach there? Yeah. So what you would do is um, part of more or less when you sign up with a builder, you need to, it's more or less your contract managing your build. Um, A lot of the big developers would engage a project manager. Um, But as a homeowner, uh, you would manage your own contract and you can't manage it without a team. And a bit, at a bare minimum, you need a building consultant um, and a plumbing consultant. And if there's any issues with structure or what have you, you would, you would get an engineer involved. But that would be your bare minimum. And before you made any payment to the builder, you would get that building consultant to check mm-hmm. or the plumber if it in- includes plumbing work. And if they give you the, you know, all clear because building surveyors don't check everything. They don't check quality. Um, they don't check whether your uh, your plumbing pipes are broken under the slab. Yep. Um, you know, they don't even obtain a copy of the compliance certificate from the plumber until the end, which is shocking to me. 
um, you know, and they've approved it's the too slab. Late by then. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, you do have, in, you know, contract works, insurance policies and stuff like that that you claim on, but, you know, some of the access on those are 100 grand, depending on the builder. So um, there's ways of protecting yourself. It's better to hold on to your money than to pay it out if there are issues. And the builder then is more likely to ensure that those contractors aren't paid as well and fix what's gone wrong. What would you say would be some of the most misunderstood areas um, with building contracts? Um, you've been, yeah, very articulate there and, and provide a lot of helpful advice, I think, um, to both builders and consumers. But, yeah, some of the things that people maybe misunderstand when it comes to contracts. Um, I'm, I'm surprised that a lot of clients just sign it <laughs> um, and, and they don't engage a lawyer to review it. You know, it's more expensive not to have it reviewed and to fix something later, just like your home. So um, it's, you know, one of the biggest things is, you know, oh, well, the builder said he could do, I needed to sign now because things were going to be delayed, blah, 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 and they've signed at the plant, not even planning approval stage, uh, especially with design and construct builders. Um, I always advise clients, you're better off to get your own, engage your own architect, draft up your own plans and you have ownership over those plans. Mm -hmm. Um, You can tender it out. You can change, chop, whatever you like, pick your builder and you're in control of it and you don't engage or, or quote it out, put out to tender until you have working plans or drawings. And if you do have a builder in mind, you can get them involved in the process at the beginning to make sure it's within your, your budget. So, um, but if you, you engage a design and construct builder that, you know, cookie cutter designs, um, not custom, um, they're more likely to get you to sign up before you even have planning approval. So it's like buying a picture of a design of a car that doesn't have an engine in it and hasn't been approved by Vic Roads to drive on on the streets with. And you've signed up. So anything is that, that is changed after you sign, uh, when your engine gets designed and Vic Roads approves it, is going to be an increasing cost. It's a variation. And that's what people don't understand. So it usually goes up in price a lot. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, I love a good car analogy as well. I might circle back to that one, but I'm sure there's a couple of other good examples of maybe misconceptions that you commonly get as well further to that. Uh, A lot of people think that, you know, once they sign up with a builder, they pay their 5% deposit and the builder does everything for them. The building surveyor will check everything for Mm -hmm. them and everything's fine. Um, They just make the payments and that's it. That's not the case. Um, your, the builder can't, it's actually legal for the builder to request a 5% deposit and it's capped at 5% without providing you with a domestic building insurance policy first. Mm-hmm. Um, they can take less than 5%. Uh, if you've engaged a design and construct builder, uh, they may say, pay me you know, $10,000, which is less than 5% for the, the plans and specs. And if you don't proceed with them um, or to, to sign a, a building contract with them, uh, they'll retain that money. However, they can't just retain that money. Mm. Um, you can basically argue that you have a license over those plans because you've paid for them or they're to refund you and provide you a whole breakdown of the costs. Um, and most of the design construct builders, are, it's cookie cutter. So it hasn't cost them anything for that design that hasn't been approved by a council or anything. They've just handed you, you know, a, a Mac, big Mac package. Mm. Yeah. So. Mm. 
it's it's you know they it's a, the burdens on them to to show you what the costs are and there should have been a preliminary works contract signed off with the agreement with regards to the costs of that yeah so, so essentially yeah if it's not a preliminary works agreement and that builder is asking for more than five percent um, as a deposit uh, on you know a design construct scenario be weary yeah, uh, yeah do due diligence and ask why um, it's yeah, it's it's there's so many things that you're saying that seem so logical, and um, but we're all guilty of this, I'm sure. Mm. Where we've had our blinkers on, and we've found ourselves in this situation, going, "God, I'm an idiot! Like, why did I think that this was going to be the case?" But often that's too late. Yeah, it's, and I guess yeah. if it's common practice, and you just accept it as you know the standard, you don't question it. Most yeah. people wouldn't. I guess that's why they don't. There's a lot of faith in certain builders yeah. with the, from the consumer's perspective. They mm. think that yeah, they're going to get the image that's on the front page of the magazine and uh, here's my money and it's going to be right, okay? Like, I, I trust you. <laughs> I've never met you before or have any idea of your backstory or your business. And it's quite emotional yeah. too for people. It's their first home. It's their, you know. You fall in love. Yeah. You fall in love with the with your home. They're selling you your dream. Mm. Um, but And it all always starts off really well. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, hopefully it ends well, but if it starts off, you know, if you, if you don't know what your rights are and you're blind blindly trust someone and majority of the time builders don't know you know I've I've in the last 13 years um, I keep asking myself okay is it the fact that the builders don't know and they're swindling people or is it the fact that the they're not educated and they're just not educated with it you know no one's there's no courses no one's teaching them on how to you know there there's case law on how to interpret certain sections of the domestic building contracts act you know, there's, you know, identifying identifying um, what's a reasonable delay, for instance, because under the Act the builder's entitled to reasonable delays, extension mm-hmm. of time. So it's 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 a it's not that simple. Uh, but the the main things they should know is when to take the deposit and when not. Yeah. Uh, you know, insurances, when to make a payment claim and when not. Make sure you do your lawful variations. Um, you know, make sure you're you're clear and transparent on how you're quoting as well because a lot of builders won't break down their quotes thinking, oh, I'm not going to, you know, they're just going to nitpick on this or that. But what happens later is the owner may want to credit with something or remove something and then you're going to have an argument over, well, that wasn't $200, it's Mm. $2,000 and you're just better off being transparent with that. Mm. With increasing materials and costs, um, I've had a lot of builders ask me whether they can claim that extra, you know, 20% for the timber. Um, I know this is sustainable, but but as an example, um, you can only enter into cost plus contracts if the build's over over $1 million and or if it's a renovation or something that you can't quote on because it's a special type of build. So, um, and if you ask me, cost plus contracts are quite, um, you, you leave yourself open to, to more disputes. Yeah. Could you define the difference between um, the two different types? So the cost plus contracts, basically, um, you get an estimate of the build, you get a complete breakdown of what the costs are in accordance with your scope of work and the payment claims are made, say, monthly mm-hmm. for the work done. Uh, with all the invoices and the builder's project management fee or, or a percentage on the top at the end. Um, you know, 
usually, so if there's cost increases um, or, you know, if there was uh, a piece of work that needed to be rectified and the builder's charged you or the builder hasn't charged you but has charged you for something else that was a variation, they still have to comply with the variation regime under the Act, Mm -hmm. even though it's a cost plus contract. That's when disputes arise. You know, you may get to frames and, you know, you have a look around and you think, well, this is not half a million dollars worth of yeah, work. Yeah. They fix X, Y, and Z. They've, they may have charged me. It's just you're sort of opening up a can of worms. But with a fixed price contract, which isn't really fixed price, there's uh-huh. always variations. Mm-hmm. Um, the good thing is with for builders, um, if you get legal advice, you can actually um, – so you're prohibited from charging extra cost escalation clauses unless it's approved by the um, commissioner. So, um, but there's ways around it. So you can put in a prime cost item. So if you know that timber's going to go up or steel's going to go up, or something else is going to go up, you would then break it down as a prime cost in your contract. You'd say, well, there's 20 pieces of timber at $20. I've allowed, you know, 20 grand for, for timber and then you get to the timber, you know, your, your ordering timber has gone up by 20%. Well, guess what? You can charge that yep. and you protect yourself. But a lot of builders didn't do it during the increase because there was no increase and most of them didn't know that you could do that um, and then just issued variation illegally. And most owners ended up paying anyway because they wanted them to finish the build and in the scheme of things the, the extra cost wasn't, yeah, you know, that yeah. that's significant. And, yeah. and that's probably a common theme that we hear as well is that there's that pressure, um, well, look, it might be a delay and then you don't want to have a delay so you just kind of accept it and move forward and, yeah. um, you know, that's unfortunate as well. Is, is this something that you're able to help builders out with as well? Um, because if it's education, it, it does seem apparent that, you know, it's education yeah. and, and so, it, you know, and in all fairness, like how, contracts are pretty involved um, and a, a short – unit in a certificate for or diploma in construction is probably not going to suffice to understand how contracts work entirely. Um, yeah. And for some of those um, who are taking those courses as well, they they may not fully comprehend it coming out the other side of it. So, yeah, is this yeah. something that you can provide assistance with to builders who want to learn more or, or have someone oversight some of their contracts and provide feedback? Yes. Yeah, so uh, we can assist uh, builders. Uh, one of the things we do apart from training them up on how to contract manage their yeah. build themselves and protect themselves so they are able to enforce those price increases, variations and what have you um, and know when they're entitled to make a, a claim. So if you make a payment claim and you're not entitled to, you're in breach of the contract, so how to protect yourself. Uh, we can also look at compliance with their processes um, in office. Uh, so we've, we've got a large build at the moment uh, where they've, you know, have had their process of the last 10 years and we've had a look at them saying this is, we, we need to review this, it's not compliant. So we've given them checklists, updates and how to, you know, ensure that it's all compliant, the processes internally as well. Um, and also with special conditions to protect them, um, you know, we can't, we, there's, there's main or general conditions that we can use, but it's more or less dependent on each build as well. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to circle into the current allergy now. So quite often we'll get clients or consumers ask us how they can um, make allowances in a building contract to ensure that their energy rating is going to be, uh, well, 
the construction of the home is going to be in accordance with the energy rating. So is there anything that clients or our clients or consumers can do, um, something they can put in that contract to ensure that the, you know, the insulation is what it says it's going to be, the windows are what they're meant to be in that contract to ensure that the builder is going to do the right thing there? The funny thing is, <laughs> Anthony, um, it's already in the contract because it's in the plans and specifications. However, um, I would protect myself as an owner to uh, by ensuring that it's a material term in the contract um, and that depending on which, which stage, for instance, that, that um, it's subject to an inspection or compliance of the energy rating at each stage. So um, if it's in your plans and specifications, the builder must build in accordance with the plans and specifications. Um, and if there's insulation or the energy rating isn't met, we all know that building surveyors will prove things anyway. <laughs> Um, um, you know, and it's not compliant. You don't want to get stuck uh, where you've reached the end of your build, you hand, o- hand it over all your money and it doesn't comply with the energy rating and then you end up in litigation yeah. over that because it's a defect. It's not in accordance with the plans and specifications. Mm-hmm. So to ensure that you, you you don't hand over the money, you don't end up in litigation or find out once you've moved in that it's um, the energy rating is not compliant, you've got air coming in, yeah. um, I would uh, put a special condition in your contract to state that, um, and you don't want to make the contract too stringent either because uh, it's that may cause problems too. So it will be a special condition such as, um, you know, prior to the plaster going on, you, you are to the builders to allow an inspection to be undertaken by your building consultant to ensure that it's built as per the plans and specifications, that the insulation is compliant, it's laid properly and what have you because builders will just issue a, a compliance certificate on the insulation. And as we know... It may not be compliant. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it will be, you know, we can put a special condition in there saying when it prior to fixing stage, um, you know, the builders to advise us once the installation is complete to allow the inspection, um, they're to furnish the furnish the um, compliance certificate on the insulation. Um, otherwise, that stage is incomplete and make it subject to that that. Um, that inspection. Yeah, fantastic. So I guess that's kind of congruent with, you know, what you would expect for the uh, inspections that are in the fixed price contract typically anyway. So yeah. you can just make an additional insertion in as a special condition. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know how to go about that, again, is that something that you can assist with? And yeah. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Mm. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so this next question is a little bit of a long-winded one, but I'll do my best to make it not sound so. So what what can I do in case of a dispute? So basically, um, where should I start? For example, the contract, um, or how do I recognise if the time to get legal support is now? Um, uh, and rectifying any shortcomings, I guess. Can you describe that process? I can sort of break it down for us for those of us that are completely naive to the process and. Yeah. How we would how we would go about that. So, um, for the last thirteen years, I've had owners and builders call me, and it's really the same advice over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, there may be different circumstances, but it's the same advice. Mm-hmm. So, if we're looking at it, a building dispute is usually once you've signed and construction has started, or construction hasn't started, mm-hmm. and it should have. So, um, we look at it. In in so if if the can oh let me say if the contract's on foot mm-hmm. you've got to do what the contract says you must do if no one if there's an issue with uh, uh, performance of the contract 
um, you know, uh, the builds delay, there's defects, there's variations and what have you. So if there is a substantial breach of your contract, if the builder, I'll give you an example. Um, so if the builder's taken too long to finish your build, uh, you don't, let's look at it where you've, you've engaged your own architect to draft up your plans, you've had working plans and drawings and construction has started. However, since the frame stage to fixing, it's taken over a year, you're friends with the builder, you're on good terms, but you've just had enough and it keeps, you know, pulling the COVID card yeah. <laughs> um, and and he's told you that this, ha- this has been happening a lot lately, but he's told you that I don't have enough money to, to finish your build as quick as I could because I've of the price increases what do you do you've been waiting a year and a half and it's not even at fixing stage so they call me (laughs) and the the truth of the matter is if the the builder doesn't have the money to finish your build that's a repudiation under common law Um, not ready willing or able to complete the build Uh, there's no you know if he's not going to finish your build, you'll be waiting another two years. The planning permit will expire. Your, your building permit will expire and what have you. So there's two options there. One is you do what the contract says and you serve the builder a notice. And the no, it's a notice of intention to terminate, outlining the breaches of the builder and they've got to be significant breaches. There's also statutory right to terminate under the Domestic Building Contracts Act. So one and a half times longer than your construction period, you can terminate under that term. I would not do that though because if you terminate under that term, you would not be entitled to um, costs of difference in cost to complete the build with another builder because you haven't terminated under breach or um, and you'll have to pay the builder the reasonable value of the work right? Um, if you terminate that way. And um, so I wouldn't do it on, on that alone. That would be your last resort and with one of our burger with the lot notices that mm. I call them, mm-hmm. um, but I would I would first rely on the on the breaches. The first thing you need to do, and a lot of owners don't do this, um, is all they'll, they'll engage a, a building consultant that doesn't have any experience with VCAT. Um, we we refer um, at. You know, we're not associated with them, but an independent expert that does attend VCAT yep. to inspect the property. We uh, refer a, a plumbing expert to check underground because if there are broken pipes, you can claim that on the contract works insurance policy. Um, and, you know, especially if your build's not finished or you're not at the occupancy permit, you don't have a compliance certificate. Usually it's never filed until the end. So if that you do have plumbing defects and you uh, we find out that's probably if that's what's delaying the build, you know, um, We'll, we'll be able to put that in the notice and also uh, get the plumbing on it, but um, uh, on on his insurance too. So uh, the inspection will give us a pair of eyes and the story of your build. So what's gone wrong? Is it really delays? Is it really they've run out of money? Or is it the fact that there's major defects to the property and they're never going to obtain a compl- uh, occupancy permit? And 99% of the time, the owners will tell you there's nothing wrong with the build or the the builder will say there's no defects, <laughs> but there always is. Whether they're minor or major, there's always defects. So I've yet to see a perfect home. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah. that's um, unrealistic to expect that you're going to yeah. get perfection in anything. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, mm. uh, 
it must be quite emotional. Yeah, we touched on that earlier. It is quite emotional to mm, go through totally. the process of your own home. Um, and I'm sure you do being when you're typically contacted, there's a lot of emotion flying around. Um, is there any um, like process or steps that you would advise if soon as someone has sort of this gut feeling or they've, they've sort of flagged something doesn't seem right, like the processes that they should then take before, you know, maybe – is it direct to get best to get in contact with yourself or yeah, how, what would you advise th- to do there? Um, well, first thing, cause I've, again, I've been through this, mm. um, actions speak louder than words. So if the builder's saying to, you know, it's this, it's that, but you, there's no progress on site, go with your gut. Yeah. <laughs> um, second thing is, yes, do call a, a lawyer, make sure you call a specialist that d- deals with building construction law predominantly because it is a specialised area. The contracts are governed by the Domestic Building Contracts Act. There's, you know, the Building Act, all these things that the builder needs to comply with um, and they can refer you to a, a proper expert because 90% of your case is going to be relying on these expert reports mm-hmm. because uh, those reports will tell you if the builder's built in accordance with the plans and specifications in your contract. Um, I would ask the building surveyor and another tip, try and pick your own building surveyor rather than the builder choosing theirs. The problem there is if if the building surveyor is in bed with that builder mm. um, and there is an issue, you, you know, you're going to have difficulty obtaining your file. Um, and or, you know, if there's a building notice issued or something like that, you may not be aware of it. So, um, or changes to the, um, you know, alternative solutions to the build where they reduce the waterproofing areas and the building surveyor signs off on it to save costs as well because they're, they're friends. So um, I shouldn't assume that of all building surveyors, but um, this is just my experience in the past. Uh, So, you know, obtain your complete file from the building surveyor. Make sure you ask the building surveyor. So a lot of people think the building surveyor goes in, you know, throughout the whole build, checks everything, and it's all amazing. No. They come out pre-pour of slab. They don't even check. They don't check your plumbing, your pipes. They rely on the compliance certificates from the plumbers. Um, so they'll just check pre-pour of slab and the footings there. Then they'll check after the pour of the slab. Again, they don't check everything there. They don't check the levels of the land. So if you had a, a home there that you demolished prior and the levels are out, um, they might they won't get a whole land survey done again. So you've got to ensure that those terms and conditions are put in your contract too. Um, and then they'll come out at frame, and they may pass the frame with conditions. So if passed, subject to X, Y, and Z being undertaken, some minor issues. Then they don't come out until the occupancy permit. So, and even then, uh, I've had instances where there's been a three-metre-high party wall built that was there from the frame (laughs) (laughs) and uh, we've got into the occupancy permit, building surveyors signed off, uh, client got a landscape inspection done, the council come out, pit inspection done for the council to come out, the crossover, and they've seen this wall that doesn't comply with the plan specifications that the builder has, the building surveyor has approved. And, you know, uh, the cost of that wall being reduced and what have you, it's something the building surveyor should have picked up on. Um, sometimes they do go in with blinkers or they send out a, a building ex- a consultant to go do it for them and they rely on that. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, do it once or properly, get your own people involved, double check everything uh, because it, you just, you know, prevention is better than cure. Yeah. Yeah, no, and 
that's these are the things that people aren't aware of. No. A building surveyor who has issued your building permit may never step foot on that site. Instead, use a contractor as a building, ins- such as a building inspector, to carry out that yes. and report back. So, if you're and also fantastic advice to recommend mm. that every homeowner has a copy of the entire documentation pack that's been submitted for that application for the building permit. Um, we always advise that too because it includes an energy rating, which we think that every homeowner should have a copy of. Uh, so, yeah, couldn't speak I mean, more volumes of that. Yeah, that, the, the information you've provided just in the space of the time we've been sitting here talking, I feel overwhelmed. You know, um, I've never gone through the process of building my own home myself. Um, but, you know, it, just even from this conversation, it's, I, I, I would, yeah, I don't know how I would actually traverse through that experience without having someone like yeah. yourself, your professional advice. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. You know, yeah, especially- and it is scary too, you know, yeah. what, during the build. You get all excited, you sign up. And I tell a lot of clients, they'll, they'll ring me and say, I've got a contract that I want you to review because I want to sign up with the builder. And that's 1% of people really. Mm. Um, and I ask them, okay, do you have working plans and drawings and council approval? Oh, I don't know what that is. Um, so, uh, you know, if they do have working plans and drawings, basically I do say to them, listen, imagine that your house is completely built based on the paperwork given to you. So if you've specced up your, you know, your, your where you want your electricity, your plugs to go, your lights, your mailbox, everything that you want the builder to include in your build with approved plans, working drawings, your engine in the car, yeah. the types of tyres you want, the leather seats, all that, specced up in your contract. So there's your prevent variations um, then you're ready to sign, mm. not not before. Mm. And a lot of people, well, the builder told me to hurry up because mm. they've got another project. And mm. but guess what? It's going to take another six months, even eighteen months, to even get planning approval. Yeah, mm. yeah. We um we quite often, I think people are taken back when we quite often say like this is the expected timeline. That you know they think they can have a home built started in six months, but this is a twelve to eighteen month process typically, especially if there's planning involved at the yeah. moment. Um, everyone's you know there's some staffing issues at most councils and a lot of applications to get through. Mm. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that pretty much wraps things up. I do have um, a final question for you, Olivia. Um, if there's anything that you could change um, within the building process itself, what would it be? That would be um, requiring the building surveyor to request compliance certificates from the trades Um, at the stages, for the stages that they approve. So, for instance, um, you know, uh, uh, the plumber's compliance certificate on the work done, even though it's incomplete, but the work done for underground plumbing Mm -hmm. um, to be issued at base stage before they approve because I'm absolutely shocked how a building surveyor can approve the base stage um, without... And they rely on the compliance certificate from from the plumber to claim indemnity that they're not liable for the plumber's work. Can I just ask mm. there, because I'm not... So are you saying that the plumber completes the work and then provides a certificate himself to say that I've completed the work without any flaws? Yeah. Right. That's right. But they don't supply that until the house is finished at the occupancy permit. And a lot of plumbers or builders believe that you can't issue compliance certificate until everything's finished, which is wrong. They mm. can issue compliance certificate saying I've been engaged to do underground drainage, sewerage, gas and what have you, excluding this is the work I have not done, the incomplete work. So if the building surveyor, um, I, I just find it quite strange that the building surveyor can then 
uh, claim indemnity based on the plumber's compliance certificate issued at occupancy when they approved yeah. base without viewing it. Mm. So same with, you know, um, um, ele- electrical, um, all those additional items with the compliance certificates are issued at the end. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is is so common sense that <laughs> it is actually so. <laughs> surprising to hear that there is no, yeah, um, no partial compliance or even at that, yeah, that stage compliance for that. And mm. that uh, I suppose there are so many easy ways that you can inspect these things at that stage too now. Like the, the camera systems that are available are very quick and easy and mm. affordable mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. to have those checks. So, again, that's probably something that could be um, put into a contract <laughs> to have uh, that, that inspection carried out prior to um, – you know, the, the construction being finalised when it's mm. too late. Yeah. Uh, to, yeah. Um, is there anything further that you'd like to share at all with us? Or End of the day, it is you could have uh, an amazing contract with wonderful terms and conditions, but it's going to end up or really come down to who you choose as a builder mm. and who you choose as your architect and building surveyor. You need to just really, you're only as good as your team. Um, do have, con- you know, your special conditions and what have you will protect you, uh, but the performance of the contract is going to be based on on the team that you engaged. So um, make sure, you know, people do make mistakes. Make sure you're working with people that are aware of what they're, they're obligated to do in the contract, that it's clear mm-hmm. and it's someone that is capable of doing it and mm-hmm. has experience because uh, I have seen some contracts which are, shocking there's no special conditions or anything and the builder's done quite a good job on it so mm. um it's really just boils down to and also on the flip side but it it boils down to who you choose so do you do due diligence um you know look at previous builds engage a building consultant to check their previous builds because you know normal person will, will walk in and say this looks great but you won't know until you move in if something's gone wrong or mm. if something's not compliant and um, yeah, it's it's just do you do the diligence, ask questions, ask for, you know, can you refer this, uh, refer us to a previous client? Um, ask, Don't be shy, ask them about their financial capability because, again, it could boil, they could be an amazing builder and then something's just gone wrong. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I do want to say thank you very much for um, your time, Livy. It's been amazing to, yeah, have your knowledge and just expertise on this. It's extensive. It's very evident. Hey Outliers, post recording this episode, a large volume builder went into liquidation. Now it was discovered they were signing contracts without providing the necessary documentation to do so. So I just wanted to add to what we've just discussed here and make sure that you hold a copy of domestic builders insurance alongside your build contract and building specifications before signing any contracts. I just want to circle back and expand on the car analogy that didn't make it into this recording initially. If you were to buy a new car and you were expecting it to be a V8 uh, and you got home and you popped the bonnet and realised it was a four-cylinder engine, would you keep it and not say anything? Or would you go straight back to the car dealership and ask for what you'd paid for? That seems to be the problem that occurs in most Australian homes. We get an energy rating conducted and that rating says that our home should be performing in such a way. But when we test it, which is very rarely for most, it's probably less than 1% of Australian homes currently are tested during construction, we realise that that home is not performing in accordance with that energy rating. So what would you do? Would you ask for the builder to then make sure it's fixed or rectified and uh, is actually performing as part of that energy rating? Because you absolutely should be. That's what you've paid for. 
thank you for listening to the Outlier podcast. You can find helpful links and contact information regarding this episode in our show notes and on our website, outlierstudio.com.au forward slash podcast. If you like our show, please leave a review and make sure you subscribe to never miss a new episode. If you have further questions for us or want to share some additional feedback, please feel free to DM us on Instagram or Facebook. Until next time on the Outlier Podcast.